0: You're listening to Body IO FM with your hosts Kiefer and Dr. Rocky. Where cutting-edge science meets the razor's edge of health and performance. Hi, everybody! Welcome to another episode of the Body IO uh, FM. I think that's the official title now. And uh, I'm your host, Kiefer, and co-host, Dr. Rocky Patel, who just goes by Rocky. Hey, Kiefer, how's it going? And uh, it's going well. You just about screwed up my flow in introducing our guest, uh, Andrea Jangle, who goes by AJ. And as is my customary uh, fallback, is I usually let everybody introduce themselves so I don't screw it up. So why don't you say hi, AJ, and tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Hi, everyone. Uh, yeah, I go by AJ. Um, yes, I'm a personal trainer and in the last year or so, I've uh, moved my business to um, completely online. So I've been doing mostly uh, online nutrition coaching and program design. Um, I work, um, I have a website. we I normally work with women, but I work with men also, and uh, I've just been, Doing a lot of experimentation in the last couple of years with carb night and carb backloading. And, uh, yeah, that's been very interesting.
0: And you, you have a little bit of professional sports experience in your background, correct?
1: Um, <laughs> well, I was an a amateur competitor when snowboarding, I guess, first started, really. And I uh, moved out west at the age of 18. So I'm I'm Toronto-based. I grew up in the Toronto area, and I moved out to uh, Whistler, British Columbia when I was 18 to pursue uh, competitive snowboarding. And uh, that kind of... That's an interesting story. There's some blogs about that. But uh, I ran into some health issues, and that kind of... uh, Well, that came to a halt because of those health issues. And then as I... uh, Actually, years after that, then I got into other sports. So, mountain biking, motocross, and some other uh, motorsports. So, I've done a lot of interesting things for sure.
0: <laughs> well, I know, I don't know if people realize it or think about it, but I know motocross is unbelievably taxing on the body. I had a friend who was a competitive racer. And I mean, the stories they told me about the exhaustion and the control you had to have and the impacts on the body and his injury rate
1: also was was
0: pretty extreme so you know that's not just like going out and having a good time on your motorbike
1: no definitely wasn't i was actually just looking up what the dry weight of a like a kawasaki 250 uh four stroke machine is and that's about 230 pounds that's before you put gasoline in it and then coat it with mud and fatigue yourself so right (laughs) yeah and, you know, the interesting thing about that, and that's something I, I do want to talk about a little bit at some point, was just I was probably riding four days a week um, back then, and I, I helped run the local motocross track, and I was riding all the time, and I was working out, and I never, I never had the body that I hoped for um, when I was doing those things and it's interesting now that i'm not doing those things i'm eating more exercising less and i've been able to attain the physique that i've always wanted so i've always found that pretty interesting
0: so that is a perfect segue into you know we had a podcast recently with jonathan baylor about calories in calories out and uh, there were disagreements across the board you know i had a little bit with jonathan uh, Rocky disagreed with Jonathan, and then Rocky and I started to disagree towards the end of the show. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we pretty much ran the full gambit there of uh, how many different ways you could disagree with one another. And I wanted you on the show today because you've actually had a lot of great interactions with people where the the calorie loads were counterintuitive up to a point. And you're, you've been able to see things in clients that... Probably go unnoticed by most other trainers because they try to stick with a single dietary paradigm. So they're really all they have is you know they're comparing apples to apples. So they can't potentially right.
2: see what differences might come up there.
1: Hmm. Absolutely.
2: I think disagreement is a little strong, but <laughs> but you know <laughs> <laughs> I I, I we disagree. <laughs> we weren't arguing. Yeah. So. yeah. I, I just think that I, I think we agree their variability is quite great. Yeah, so what Rocky and I we actually
0: we started talking unfortunately before the show, which I always warn about because you lose some really good topics if you do that. But you know I'm right. gonna try to rekindle this one to start. and the the first thing we talked about and and one reason that calories in calories out remain so popular and salient with people is, A lot of the arguments and studies that they look at for that are taking calories down to 800 calories per day or less. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of people aren't aware of this but programs like Weight Watchers they have this you know we've got one of the longest success rates of any diet program out there and our members get to eat normally after they've lost their weight and things like that. When a comprehensive study done outside of Weight Watchers which Weight Watchers is never appreciative of because they have their own clinical studies. Outside of Weight Watchers, when they looked at long-term success of Weight Watchers adherence, they were eating 800 calories per day or less for weight maintenance, and that was regardless of exercise load. So what we've done there is we've, we've pushed into a regime, and that's what Rocky and I were talking about this morning, is at some point, very, very simple thermodynamic processes like calories in, calories out is going to equate to body weight in some way, mm-hmm. uh, you can push calories low enough that you can make that the dominant factor. And Rocky's got a, a great uh, N equals one case study for this if you want to kind of talk about the things you've gone through with yourself real quick, Rocky. Yeah,
2: I, I you know I've been doing carb night for probably two and a half years and I've Consistently um, lost weight, but it's been quite glacial in speed. So, very, very low um, and lots of ups and downs. Uh, I've played around with fat and protein ratios. Um, nothing really seemed to make much of a difference. And then um, when I actually cut my calories down, so I, I was doing like, I was doing like, uh, 1,800 to 2,200 calories a day with carb night. Um, when I finally cut back to about 800 a day, I finally saw body fat kind of come down as well as weight um, in significant amounts. Um, you know, and I, I, I train. You know, I was training probably one to three times a week. I'm pretty busy with the office, and if, if I get into the gym three times a week, I have consider myself lucky. So it's not like I, I can go in there and, and hit the, hit the weights almost every day. But it was interesting that it took that to really see some significant progress. Um, I'm back up to like maybe 12 to 1500 calories a day. And, um, you know, I'm still seeing it slowed down a little bit. But uh, again, it's just interesting how the manipulation in that calorie uh, count has made a big difference in terms of how, you know, I feel leaner now. Uh, and, and maybe it has something to do with the with carbonates as well. I, I know that I've significantly cut back on the number of carbs on carbonate as well and that seems to make a big difference for me too um which is you know the question then is well how much is right to spike enough insulin to get things going for the rest of the week well what i all thought right. was interesting
0: was your experiment so you did one where you did 800 calories or potentially
2: less per day and you were predominantly fat loaded right so and i didn't yeah i did fat almost all fat and maybe 20 to 30 grams of protein. Um, uh, and then, um, I flipped it around where I was doing like maybe 20 to 30 grams of fat and like 120 to 130 grams of protein. And the results are pretty identical.
0: And you had a mixed hmm. case in there. Like, yeah, so know? I've also mixed the, I've <laughs> also
2: mixed the, the fat, fat protein ratio. So right now uh, I'm, although I'm not doing 800 calories, I'm somewhere between anywhere from 12 to 1400. But I'm getting a more one-to-one ratio. Um, if I go over on one macronutrient, it's just you know a variable by 10 or 20 grams of fat or protein. So it's usually kind of more one-to-one now. So and again, um, okay. I'm not eating. I'm still. Eat, I'm eating a little bit more in a calorie standpoint, but I'm still coming down. So I think either whatever way I flip the macros, it doesn't really matter for me at this point in time. I know that um, for me to see things move and for me to look see differences in the mirror, it, it comes down to really kind of not being around that you know, 18, 1900 mark, which would, you know, if you calculated my RMR via one of the, you know, methods, um, that's where it's going to put me at if I wanted to lose a pound a week per se, if you look at those numbers straight up.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah,
2: And yeah, yeah, that's where, you know, my
0: argument is in a lot of these studies, everybody compares to are pushing down into these bottom realms and you get a apparently pretty equivalent results. Weight wise, we're just going to say weight wise, uh, once you get calories, you know, 800 calories or less. So that kind of muddies things because now you're forcing the body to operate in a regime that is not going to be so sensitive to hormonal manipulation or macronutrient manipulation. I think I bet Rocky would have gotten very similar results in weight loss. I'm not going to say, you know, fat loss, but very similar results had he gone ultra low fat, and moderate protein and high carb, which would have been miserable for him. But mm-hmm. you know there, there's reasons that diet could have worked almost at the same rate for moving body fat. And he would have been sicker at the end of it. Um, but if we just look at, at body weight, then you know, it, it, it comes out that you could make a reasonable argument that nothing matters but calories. Now, I know Andrea or AJ, sorry, I, I just have this it's habit okay. of, co- of calling you Andrea. <laughs> Because you have your Skype Skype name.
1: Yeah, it's all right. You and my mom. You guys <laughs> call me Andrea. <laughs> oh,
0: great. Now I'm equated with your mom, all right? Um, <clears throat> so you've seen this with clients and yourself, too. You just gave us a good description of how you're, you're now eating more, doing less. But, you know, mm-hmm. if people have seen pictures of you, and we'll try to put some up with the podcast, I mean, you look stellar. So, you know, give Thanks. us your take on... What you see if you stay in these normal caloric ranges, and you you then allow yourself to see differences in potentially macronutrient manipulation.
1: Okay, well, I think <laughs> I think where it all started for me was um, with, uh, I will be posting a blog soon about how I actually just uh, I guess it was three years ago I decided to just kind of follow the, the, the average diet that every woman that was coming for me for a consultation what she was doing so uh, I'll be posting something about that but that actually uh, as far as hormonal havoc that pretty much destroyed me uh, so it was at that point that I really realized like how much a high fat diet was a benefit for me for my hormonal health because uh, I always put my health first no matter what I, I do so the I think the biggest thing for me was, uh, and something you talk about all the time, is just mobilizing body fat, and it's um, why I like the 10-day reorientation. I find that, for me, is just a way of, like, stripping things down to the way your body's supposed to, to function, the way it's supposed to work. And um, when I started using carb night and carb backloading, I think the biggest difference for me right away was that I wasn't, I think with other diets in the past and attempts to to lean out, I was just shrinking my body. (laughs) And then it would, you know, uh, grow again when I would stop that. But with this, the biggest difference for me was that I was actually transforming the shape of my body. So stubborn fat areas that before would just shrink. They were still obvious. You could just, you could still see like cellulite or whatever this is the first time ever, and I'm 35 years old, that those areas completely have disappeared. So that was a huge thing for me. And that was just, I actually got to that point with almost no calorie counting whatsoever. That was just basically uh, nutrient timing. And then, you know, I actually did carbonite. Carbonite didn't work for me very well. Um, and I think it's just because I, I trained four days a week um, I have some pretty um, good strength goals, so it just wasn't the right program for me. But then when I started carb backloading, I was cycling carb night into that, and that's where I was able to optimize both. And absolutely, I hit plateaus just like anyone does. And um, I think you're absolutely right. I I play with my macros in the sense where you know sometimes I would up my protein, uh, lower my fat, it would have a result or I would flip that around where I would go super high fat, lower the protein, and that would also um, kickstart some more progress. Um, But then when I got, I guess it was later on this summer in the fall, it's probably the lowest body fat I've ever been and able to maintain, and I'm going to say maintain effortlessly because it's, it really is effortless for me right now because Everything just seems to be in sync, and I don't struggle with food anymore the way I used to. With the carb backloading, it's like really helped me. Um, it just uh, the structure, right? Like, yeah. I, for me, I need some kind of structure, and for that, it just it it's so good for my health and um, just the way I feel day to day. I'm I'm super insulin resistant. My whole all the females in my family are, and this way of eating has just. Managed all those things for me, where I don't have any issues with with food anymore and trying to manage them and and, and cravings and all that sort of stuff. so um, but yeah, when I really wanted to break plateaus, I really had to take calories into account. but a um, little bit different than what you guys are talking about, a, a big calorie deficit didn't I didn't work for me <laughs> at all. Um, the stress factor was too much for me. And for me, I find with women, when that stress factor goes up, the results will plateau pretty quickly. So I actually really dialed in um, things later this summer, early fall, with a really small calorie deficit, but just gave myself a lot longer to actually hit my goal, and that was optimal for me. So I don't know if you guys have any experience with that or... I don't know, Kipper. When you coach women, if you find that that stress factor is a <laughs> is something that makes a big difference.
0: Well, I, it's huge. I think it's underestimated a lot of times. This is one of the things yeah. we see with uh, contest prep and women is, you know, they do all this stuff and they accumulate all this stress over twelve to eight weeks, and then all of a sudden they try to go back to <clears throat> even healthier normal, mm-hmm. and. All of a sudden, they blow up. They blow up worse than they ever have in their life. And most of the time, they're actually still at a calorie deficit because they want to keep their figure. And that stress response is very powerful and very leveling as far as what it's going to do to the body and your attempt to manipulate calories, which is what everybody tries Mm -hmm. to do. You know, people underestimate the power of this idea of, um, you know, modulated tissue response, which really different tissues in your body are going to react in completely different ways depending on the hormonal situation that's current in the body And that stress factor is massive. I mean cortisol, especially if you're eating carbs in any way at all, can have a different a definite negative effect if it's chronic. Uh, I think that's mm-hmm. what a lot of people see and I think this you know there's been a couple of case studies in the literature where people have gained weight. On 800 calories a day, which for almost yeah. everybody out there, it's like that's just not possible. You can't, you know. It is possible. The body just becomes so efficient. Cortisol is part of that process that it can actually allow you to accumulate more body mass while you're eating so such a low amount of carbohydrates. And you know these are the things that in a lot of cl- a lot of clinical studies and then a lot of randomized trials, uh, double blind you know, we're not taking into account their macronutrient ratios and how those are affecting a lot of different things. We're just going such a low caloric threshold that
2: we're going to get the results we want. Yeah. So AJ, a couple questions then, um, just to get some more clarification. Um, you, I, I'm going to assume you've been probably relatively lean most of your life. I mean, I, you know, so, you know that, so that would be my first question in terms of body fat percentage and muscle okay. mass, uh, in terms of, I mean, was there a, a point where there's a tipping point where you said, uh, you know, I've I got to a point where that's where it's metabolically being an issue because you mentioned that insulin resistance runs in your family.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I, um, <laughs> well, I have a blog about, uh, when I first moved out west, and I was probably the most physically active I have ever been in my life. I was snowboarding in the mountains. I was snowboarding like over 200 days a year, cause the mountains open year round there. And I was doing tons of hiking, and and then I was riding my bike to work. And when I first moved out west, I was 115 pounds. I've always been petite. And within that first year, um, The number on the scale by the end of that year one, and this is like I say, the the, probably the most physically active I've I've been in my life was 154 pounds, and that was I'd never weighed more than 115. (laughs) So, uh, and I struggled with that for a very long time and trying to get that weight off, and I uh, I had a you know bunch of different issues which. uh, you know, I will say the paleo style of eating did help with a lot of those, just like getting healthy again. But then manipulating my uh, my body composition after that—that's where you know that's been the experiment for years. After that,
2: you know, in so. any any of this time period, was um, what, did you have any body composition done, or was there any like resting metabolic rates done at that point in time to see if things were slowing down from that standpoint? Just maybe no. due to all the stress. Have you done have you done a measured RMR along the way at all, like just to see um, where you? No,
1: I actually have never done that, and I would that's something I'd actually love to do right now because I'm astonished by how much I can eat, (laughs) and as are the people around me, (laughs) Um, which before was just never the case. Like I just uh, was one of those people where you know when someone says, "Oh, you know," they sometimes people comment now they go, "Well, maybe you're genetically gifted." And I think, you know, how we, um, our body partitions nutrients, I think that's genetics, a lot of that. But I think if you're really genetically gifted, you've been able to get away with eating whatever your whole life. And I'm definitely not one of those people. I have struggled for years and I have done, you know, typical bodybuilding diets that have, Really negatively impacted my health, so I mean, I've tried just about everything. So
2: <laughs> it yeah, I, hasn't
1: been easy, is what I'm saying.
2: <laughs> I should clarify that RMR is resting metabolic rate, so you can actually measure yes. that with gas exchange data. So, um, well, maybe yeah, if yeah, I knew it, that. It, it just for the listeners. So you know, if you ever come out to Phoenix, we'll get you. We'll definitely put you. Um, we'll get you on uh, an RMR in the office and see where you sit, so that at least you'll have a starting yeah, point or baseline. That. Um, how did you cycle carb night and carb backloading? Then you said you, you know you did carb night and not so great, but then you yep. kind of you know manipulated things. How was the manipulation done?
1: Um, well, I went right from so I think I did like three months of carb night when I first started it, and I I generally felt better overall, like my health, my digestion, everything, my, uh, my certain indicators for hormones that I like to use were were all. I think leveling off and then but my performance in the gym and my body composition wasn't really changing or improving in any way so uh that's when i started using carb backloading which is it's funny how i i think i used to intuitively carb backload so when i first read the carb backloading book it was like everything was clicking for me because that's what I had been doing for years. And my trainer at the time back then was like telling me I had it backwards and trying to put me on like a bodybuilding diet. So it was kind of interesting when I was reading carb backloading. I was like, wait a second, I used to do this just based on how my body felt. This is what I wanted to do. So um, within like a month of using carb backloading, my body composition, like it was, I was getting visible changes, people were noticing. And then I pretty much um, have just kind of cycled. Carb night and carb backloading. Um, for the first part of the year, I stuck with my like a like a modified Westside training program. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, it's like a every wave has like three weeks where it's like lifting super heavy, and then your fourth week is like a deload week. Yep. So I would kind of cycle my carb night week with that deload week a lot of the time. So that's kind of one way that I would cycle that in. And then um, as I got super lean, um, carb carb backloading, and this is where I was doing a lot of calorie manipulation. Um, I was definitely like at a, I was at a deficit, but I always, and even with my backloads throughout the week, I still needed to have that one big carb night, just to like, you know, boost leptin and all those kind of things. So that was that's where I kind of integrated that. Um, later on in in my body composition changes like later in the year where I was like really trying to find two things so it was kind of like couple backloads a week and then one big carb night
2: so how many grams were, were we talking about like uh, maybe initially when you started carb night and then when you went to your kind of you found your your homeostasis spot so to speak
1: Yeah. So uh, right now, like I can coast. I mean, it depends what my short-term goals are. I think that's really important for women too. I just, maybe we'll add that right now is that women are always trying to lose weight. Okay. I like to call it lose fat and they just have to realize that (sighs) I just don't think that's the healthiest thing. I think we really need to cycle that throughout the year where we have periods of maintenance where our goals are just feeling good, Um, I mean, that should always be a goal, but uh, maybe, you know, putting on a little bit of muscle mass and just maybe working on some different goals and then maybe shorter periods of trying to lean out. Um, And so I think those short-term goals are really, really important. So if I – earlier in the year when I was trying to lean out, my sweet spot with uh, carb backloading was somewhere between 70 and 120 grams of carbs on a carb backload. And then on a carb night, probably around 300 grams, maybe more. It really depends. The leaner I got, I actually had to do like two carb nights back to back. that's. To, I don't know if you've ever, I don't know how, how you guys play with that, but I've had to do that. When I got super lean at one point, I was like, okay, I, had, I had like a full weekend. And I actually at one point had like a full week off and then went right back into you know, what I had done previously and got amazing results.
2: I, I'm sure there's very little sympathy right now in the crowd. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well,
0: I, I mean, that happens, and that's in carb night. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't get there right away, which that's why carb night never went into it. But, you know, you get to a point where your body just needs that stimulation more often than not. And,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and what we're really talking about here is, you know, the calories in, calories out argument is becoming somewhat moot, in my opinion, because we can push things into a regime where it doesn't matter. Macronutrient composition isn't going to matter that much. You've got a very gross unit of measure, calories, and you're comparing it to another very gross unit of measure, and that's weight. Those correlate pretty simply when you get into low enough regimes. There's probably a more complex correlation when you get into really high regime so for example you know 6 7000 calories a day or even 4 to 5000 if you're sedentary you know you get into those two regimes and you're you're going to be able to make somewhat consistent arguments at the low end you can probably manipulate macronutrients however you want at the high end you're going to start to see some very definite effects of macronutrient manipulation period in the middle where a lot of people try to sit I think is where you're going to see the most massive changes based on not only macronutrient manipulation, but timing of those macronutrients, um, Mm -hmm. which, which is a lot of what you're discussing here. You know, you, you've got to let the body do certain things and tap into certain reserves. You know, the body's, the body's not like this stupid thing and says, okay, our only calorie source is what comes in the mouth. You know, other than that, that that's our total measure of energy balance And that's just not how the body looks at itself. The body can look at internal energy stores if we let it. And we very rarely ever let it because we're just forcing carbohydrates in ourselves all the time, which it's kind of screwing up that homeostasis or sweet spot as it were
2: well you you know you've talked about ringing that bell just to kind of get everything re-equilibrated and i find it interesting that you, you know you've gone to the point where you've got to kind of, you've kind of have to ring that bell a little bit more often yeah and i wonder even in people who have higher body fat percentages you know maybe that bell needs to be rung a little bit more often obviously not as hard so right. so maybe you know every three to four days they get you know even though they're not you know low, ultra low carb day maybe to get 50 or 60 grams just to see if there's an effect yeah it it, it could be a it's
0: the unfortunate thing about these paradigms and the unfortunate thing that's going to last for a while unless we do things like we're doing here in Arizona which is why I'm here is the data is not out there like we don't know what happens to people everybody's so focused on either high carb or really high fat we don't see these macronutrient manipulations very often in the research what there's there's like maybe two or three studies out there that are pretty decent that show some results, but that's, you know, a handful of people in a handful of studies. That's not really enough for us to fine tune anything. The most it is, is like one of those, oh, that's interesting.
2: And we've got an explanation for why it could work. Is that what we're really seeing? So AJ, from a client standpoint, mm-hmm. what are you seeing and what have been some unusual cases that you've seen?
1: Um, okay, so a little, I'll give you a little rundown on how I kind of approach their nutrition from the beginning. Um, I, I, I believe everyone needs to have some sort of calorie awareness. So I, I don't like to have my clients glued to a um, you know, calorie counting device at all, but I believe that a little bit of knowledge and just understanding what they're putting, understanding their macronutrients for starters. Like, I mean, I, I've had so many clients in the past who are well-educated people who don't know the basic macronutrients. So there's always a little bit of education that needs to go on there. And then we basically, um, I mean, depending on everyone's a little bit different, but what I like to do is um, we look at the food choices first, and then we, uh, well, I guess simultaneously we actually start uh, nutrient timing at the same time. So we'll work on breakfast. That will be the first thing. And then, as things progress, and we and we hit certain roadblocks, then we'll look closer at macronutrients. And then, I, I mean, if you think if you're looking at macros, you're also looking at calories. So, we'll start to kind of just pick away at those things, and uh, hopefully, that gets us through any plateau. Um, so, the weird things that I have seen. Um, well, I don't think it's weird. I think like men respond completely different to any of the stuff than women do. Women are—if if my job, if I want an easy job, I would train men. <laughs> um, women just seem to be much more complicated. Oh, well, um, that's across
0: the board. That's not just metabolism.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just—it's yeah, interesting. And then the one thing <laughs> that I have noticed, and I think I think I actually asked you for this question when we met down at the Train Like a Girl seminar. Was that uh, in that 10-day reorientation? I kind of use that as an indicator if there's something metabolically going on there with someone. And uh, if I if I have a client where I think that maybe they're even suffering, you know, from just even the early onset of like adrenal fatigue, um, I notice that almost nothing happens in that 10-day reorientation. So they won't see any weight loss whatsoever, and I find with someone like that, then you really got to start tackling the bigger issues before you're going to get any result with any kind of um, nutrition manipulation. So that uh, has—I don't know if you guys ex- have experienced that, but for me, that's always a first indicator, um, and it seems to be that if that if a if a woman does that 10-day reorientation and doesn't get any movement on the scale whatsoever, I probably would put her on something like carb backloading before carb night. Because at that point, uh, just managing stress and getting the body healthy would be the number one focus. And uh, I I guess you could argue that like carb night would do that too. But I just find with women, sometimes that might be a little bit too drastic at that point, especially if it's someone that exercises a lot, like the women that uh, send me emails, I'm astonished on how much they're exercising and how little, little they're eating. Like we're talking six, seven days a week on, you know, a 1,000 calories. And I just don't know how these... I, I look at that and I'm like, wow, I, I don't even know how to respond sometimes. It's just like chill out. Yeah,
0: so <laughs> but, I'm going to break in a little bit here because yeah. uh, just to keep the... So a lot of people know I don't like the, the term adrenal fatigue. And it does not I, happen as often as everybody thinks it's happened. You can be overly stressed. If you're overly stressed and you have high amounts of cortisol and you have high amounts of catecholamines like adrenaline things constantly like that, you can't be adrenal fatigued. Your adrenals are working fine. They're just pumping you full of chemicals that make it very hard for your body to respond correctly. And because those are elevated so often, you know, I coined this term a couple years ago, you literally have uh, adrenaline diabetes is what you could look at it as – right so your body cannot respond to those signals like it should uh, and I think you know you're you're working in a um, with an active population so there you've definitely you don't have people who are in adrenal fatigue most likely you have people who are very definitely in this kind of adrenaline diabetes situation where you know the the chemicals responsible for helping them to release fat stores and even, water stores. And this is what's interesting is you need to be sensitive to adrenaline, particularly during workouts and activity in or in order to mobilize intramuscular glycogen stores. So if you're insensitive to these chemicals and you're working out really hard, A, you're going to gas out. Um, your Your workouts are probably very long duration and somewhat endurance oriented. And by that, I mean, you just can't take things to fatigue very often because you're predominantly working on a fatty acid uh, system. You're working on an oxidative system for your energy needs, which means you're not tapping into muscle glycogen stores. Uh, So this is where in women who work out a lot, they don't see any weight change, either because they didn't store a lot of muscle glycogen or what they have, they can't tap into, because they have this, again, this adrenaline diabetes. Their system is just literally hormonally incapable of tapping into those things so they're not going to see the water loss they're not going to see that you know potentially four or five pound drop in weight from glycogen stores and body water and on the mm-hmm. flip side in Rocky's world where we have people who are metabolically deranged we also see that sometimes they'll go on that first 10 days and see no movement whatsoever in their body weight and that mm-hmm. for people I, I just want to make people make sure people don't get confused about potential causes that right. could be a totally different scenario. I mean, what we could have there is actually like all over the board. You know, once somebody's metabolically deranged, all kinds of stuff is going on that is very, very abnormal. Um, even to the point, uh, you know, fat cells and muscle cells don't even express GLUT4 in the same concentration, they express GLUT5, which healthy, active people don't express almost at all. Uh, which means they can use fructose in their diet very readily, uh, which is going to screw up a lot of parameters we see with blood glucose, insulin loads, what those insulin loads are doing, where we're seeing uh, carbohydrate disposal. So, So we've got these two paradigms, and I would agree both. If you see no weight movement in that first 10 days to 14 days, then you have some kind of metabolic derangement. And then that's where you look at, as you've noticed in your population, okay, they're probably just
2: really overstressed and they've been overstressed for a long time. And then, you know, on yeah. the flip side, like you said, Kiefer, you know, what I see is typically I see very heavy women who are very sedentary with BMI is above 30. And, you know, I've had some, you know, interesting kind of like, you know, similar issues with, although not trained, where we'll put them on, you know, a 10 day reorientation and like one pound comes off. Yeah. Right. So, And then you're left scratching your head saying, okay, now where do we, where do we go from here? Yeah,
0: and, <laughs> and I think that's what's missed in a lot of these conversations and the arguments of calories in, calories out is we're looking at totally different populations. Like I know the popular mm-hmm. data to use for that is obese people. It's like, well, look at obese people. You know, calories in, calories out is all that matters. But look at trained athletes. You get very different results. You get very inconsistent results. And that's often why when they do meta-analyses, they throw that data out. Because it doesn't match their selection criteria because too much stuff was crazy. Uh, Mm. And and we see that. You know, Rocky gets to see it on on one side and you get to see it on the other. And I'm fortunate enough to be able to see it on both ends, which, you know, is kind of the sweet spot I like to be in is understanding the body across the entire realm of possibilities. So Mm -hmm. now that we've gone on this little rant and... And diversion. I'll, I'll let you get back to to talking about particularly women. That you know, I think working with women is very interesting because there's so many different things that you'll find that work, and it's mm-hmm. very different per per case, really.
1: It is. Everyone is absolutely, you know, unique, and you know that's why people will say, "Well, what kind of program do you put me on?" I say, "Well, I don't know until I get to know you and see how your body responds." And we just—it's week by week, or you know, month by month. And uh, yeah, that is the biggest thing. And there is one common factor, and it always seems to be, and, um, for women that I think have the most success that I've seen. Uh, with you know reaching their goals, it's it's something to do with how they approach the whole uh, their whole fitness or however you want to talk about. They just they they're very easygoing about it. They don't turn their nutrition and their exercise into a stressor. Um, they they have this very easygoing attitude. I think it helps when you hire someone to help you with it because now you don't have to do. All the thinking and all the you know all the troubleshooting and i think just that attitude and just kind of putting your faith in a coach is um i, th- I think it's something that most women uh, would really benefit from because when you try to manage those things yourself especially if you don't know uh a lot of you know a lot of ways to uh manipulate your nutrition it's going to become a stressor and i think that all just i, I think it all adds up and it creates an environment that is not going to work in your favor
0: (laughs) yeah you're just essentially eliminating another stress the more stresses you can eliminate the better somebody's going to do and that's that's what i talk about with paleo you know the real magic of paleo is you eliminated two major stresses potential toxins in the gut and carbohydrates Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. you eliminate those two things and man you've you've made some serious inroads into changing somebody's life um, and and on your side of it, you're like, okay, if you're stressing about your diet all the time, it really doesn't matter what you do for your diet. You're gonna probably screw it up or have poor responses.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting, just what you said about uh, you know the paleo and and the video that you released the other day about. Uh, <laughs> Gluten. (laughs) I was someone that struggled with gluten for years. And I mean, the doctors, they were like, well, you have every symptom of celiac disease, but you're not a celiac. And, and now I can eat, you know, a a medium sized pizza, and I'm okay. So I would just like to say that uh, (laughs) I have experienced that firsthand. And it's been very interesting. And uh, I never thought I would be able to eat gluten and wheat the way I don't eat it all the time. Now I will have it couple of times a month and have absolutely no negative reaction if i were to do if every single one of my backloads was wheat and um like bread or pasta or anything like that yeah i'd have a problem probably within a couple of weeks but uh it's kind of been interesting for that too and that's you know i think you spoke about that i don't know if it was with rob wolf or i think it was on that podcast where it's just the accumulation of different stressors and um, you know, I even noticed that when I when I lived downtown in the city, and I had really crazy hours, and I was living in an environment I didn't like, my food intolerances started to come back. And then when I removed myself from that environment, all of a sudden, my gut health and everything was, was no longer an issue. So it's just all cumulative. I definitely, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm always preaching that to everyone that I try to you know coach.
0: Yeah, I I think for the real message of the paleo world. As far as I take it, the positive message that you can take away from everybody is, for everybody is, like these food, plant foods, period, and even the meat we eat and everything. There is some component of that that is toxic for the body, and some Mm -hmm. people are so stressed out and so unhealthy, they're going to have a response that their body just can't cope with. Everybody else you're seeing eating these things, it's not because they're special, or in in some instances their genetic background might help, but It's just a stress they can handle. It's not a big deal. And, you know, it's just like, you know, somebody who goes paleo and gets really healthy, all of a sudden they don't get sick as often. Well, it's, it was a stress that was introduced to the body and their body can handle it. Unlike somebody who just has like an over amplified response because they can't handle that stress. Their body goes into scared mode and just goes full blown. You you don't get sick because you've got a virus you feel sick because your body's fighting it. Um, so, you know, if the body is always like super stressed, it's just overreacting to these things. And that's what happens in your gut, you know, your, or, you know, if you have some food intolerance or whatever, the body's just overreacting because it's scared of everything else that's going on.
2: So, you know, when you see these quote unquote sicker clients, um, what is your initial goal just to, over the first couple of weeks, just to kind of figure out where they're at? Do you, Have them cut back on training and manipulate carbohydrate intake through the week. Um, Do you start with maybe uh, one or two carb loads a week, um, and then go from there and see what the reaction is over that time period, or what's your approach?
1: Um, Yeah, well, it's uh, like I said, it is different for everyone. So if I mean, I've had some clients that start up and uh, with me, and and you'll get that client who is like glued to the calorie counting app, who is like. You know she puts more time into her day-to-day nutrition than i ever have like i have had the person come to me and there we really have to actually start to increase calories a little bit i, I wouldn't back off exercise a lot at that point i would slowly start to just increase calories to show her you don't have to only be eating a thousand calories a day and and working out six days a week so we'll, we'll with that kind of person, you kind of, I kind of almost want to bring them up to like a, a maintenance calorie intake, and then start manipulating things. And while I'll do that, I'll start uh, nutrient timing with them. And then for the average client who's, you know, not that person that's glued to their calorie calorie counting app and not, you know, very meticulous about their nutrition, I start with food choices. And nutrient timing right off the bat. And then we'll just pick away at meals. So it'll be like the first two weeks, we dial in breakfast. And once that is a habit, then we'll dial in lunch. And then, usually around that point, um, when I just kind of sense like, you know, what they can handle as far as, you know, some people have no problem reaching these goals as far as like, you know, planning their food, getting their groceries done, packing a lunch. Um, if that person's ready at that point, then I'll usually do the 10 day reorientation with them because I think for anybody, that's just a good starting point for a clean slate. It really tells me a lot about the person and how their body's, um, reacting. And then I'll usually go into a carb night scenario from that point. From that point on, it's just really, it's unique to every single individual, but, um, You know, the interesting thing is that even, you know, everyone has things that come up with their vacations or holidays. And and the one thing I always just tell people is, like, if you're going to do anything at all, if you're going to go out and you're going to eat carbs every single night of the week, just stick to your nutrient timing throughout the day. And that is, I think this Christmas break was, I don't think any of my clients had any setbacks whatsoever. They all enjoyed their holidays. They all, you know, no one felt like they were restricted in any way. And all they really did was stick to their nutrient timing. There was no calorie goals, nothing like that. They all enjoyed the holidays. So, um, yeah, we just kind of, that that's the basis for everything. And then all the macros and the caloric intakes and everything are just tweaks after that.
2: When you say nutrient timing, mainly um, carbs after a workout or carbs at night, is that kind of what you mean by timing?
1: Yep. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So sticking to the uh, fats and proteins throughout the day, and then your carbs, uh, ideally post-workout. Um, I mean, it's a little bit different how I would... Uh, women seem to be a little bit different than men as far as where you would position your carb nights based on your training. I don't know if Kiefer has any input on that, but... I think people I mean, are just different just in general.
0: Like, one, yeah, one guy so. is different from another guy, and so...
1: Yeah, yeah I th- so, I mean, as long as they're sticking to some kind of... Um, pattern with that I find that they can you know they have a lot of wiggle room there with holidays and vacations and if they just stick to that I mean I don't really see any of my clients having any setbacks whereas you know before I was using these kind of uh, protocols if someone went away for two weeks it was like start over when you get back (laughs) like and that was a
2: Huge setback. I find it interesting that you start with breakfast and go to lunch because it's a similar approach. I start with my patients as well. Um, we always Dude. talk about breakfast first, and you know, I don't know if you probably have a much more motivated um, clientele, but I just find it so hard for for patients to remove their fruit or remove their yogurt or remove their toast at breakfast. It's like I'm taking their firstborn. Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's like bacon and eggs. Like who doesn't want to eat bacon and eggs? But it's still it's so difficult for people to just remove that uh, little bit, you know, that extra piece of toast or whatever. It's yeah, it's frustrating. <laughs> I, I
0: think it's a couple combinations. I mean, think about the convenient foods that you could eat for breakfast. You got a little yogurt mm-hmm. cup. That's super easy. Pop mm-hmm. it open. You got a spoon. You're done. You've got your cereal. Really easy. Pour it in a bowl. A little bit of milk. You're done. You've got your. Yeah whatever mocha frappuccino with a thousand calories of fat and sugar you know you go to Starbucks and you order that and you're done and you get a little pastry on the side too because it's a low-fat muffin you know the those things are just so convenient like how often can you walk in somewhere and just pick up a fried egg and a couple strips of bacon that are sitting in the counter and you know grab it and say okay this is what check me out this is what I'm going to eat you know, yeah, it's, just,
1: it's not easy. Yeah,
0: the foods aren't nearly as convenient. So part of the problem is helping people find foods that are easy that they can work with mm-hmm. breakfast. And I, you know, that's why. But by default, the I just try to get people to just not eat breakfast. Go have the coffee with the whipping cream and make it easy on mm-hmm. yourself for now. And then, you know, we'll we'll work on finding those foods that are convenient for you or working with your schedule to where those will fit in at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but to go back to, to vacationing also and people not screwing up, it's amazing how many times people do this. And I just had an interview with uh, Abel James, and he talked about how he and his girlfriend, you know, they used to always watch their diet very strictly. And, you know, they just kind of they knew about my stuff. So they used this where they just went all out at night. You know, they wanted to enjoy this cruise. Yep. And so they just ate very, very clean. And by clean, no carbs during the first half of the day. And then for one meal at the end of the night, they would eat everything that they could stuff in their mouth. They just didn't care. They just wanted to enjoy the food. And both of them came back from the trip looking better than they had before they left. And this was a week-long cruise. And I'm not okay. sure if they introduced it or not, but I know alcohol helps that for a lot of people <coughs> as well. It I don't helps. know if it helps. Yeah, it, it, it's oddly, you know, alcohol goes in and screws up a lot of stuff in the liver, which could prevent you from potential deviations from how you look or your diet. And I, I will eventually go through and run through all the metabolic pathways and see where all the interferences is and, and the potential mechanisms there. But it like happens consistently where, you know, people just go on vacation and they load up with the alcohol, kind of the clean alcohols like tequila or whatever. And, you know, they always look better. It's almost like they can't do damage. As long as they stick to those hmm. carbs at night and they have their alcohol, kind of around that period, they just like cannot do damage aesthetically to themselves.
1: Well, I kind of tried. I, I mean, I don't drink, so I haven't really experienced the alcohol. Yeah, I don't, thing, I don't drink either. So, as, but um, just as far as like eating carbs every night uh, in the last three months of uh, 2013. I was trying to put on um, some more muscle. So I was actually going into the uh, carb backloading um, density bulking protocol just as an experiment to see how that would affect my uh, body composition. And, I mean, I was astonished at how much I could eat. It was kind of like, it was pretty exciting, actually. Um, And, yeah, it was, I mean, I was eating carbs, I think, six nights a week. (laughs) And one of those nights was... I wouldn't say it was a full carb night, but it was. I always try to have one night where it's like. Uh, I think Rocky was saying in a podcast I listened to the other day. You know, it, it really hit home with me how it's like, at first when you start carb night, you want the junk food really badly, and then you start really just having like that bowl of rice is just so satisfying, or that you know overcooked sweet potato. That's that's kind of what you start yeah. craving. So I try to keep most of my carbs, uh, you know, white rice the sweet potatoes. I have some other things that are go-tos, but, um, you know, I always try to keep one night a week where it's a little bit more fun and and laid back and I have whatever I want. And I mean, I was doing that six nights a week and there was no, no damage whatsoever as far as the way I looked. And I think it improved, um, you know, my performance in the gym too. So now it's just trying to find some balance.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think, you know, even, even any, like the cumulative unequal ones that we have around this should make anybody, especially if they've tried to for themselves just kind of reconsider this proposition of calories in, calories out and it cannot be universal dogma. It just cannot be. Uh, we see too many instances of like these crazy things where you eat massive amounts of food and there's almost no no change whatsoever the next day or you've actually lost weight um, which mm-hmm. is always interesting to me. I, the amount of cheesecake I can eat and... Mm-hmm end up lighter the next day is is somewhat ridiculous and then on top of it you know now that I've been in this rhythm for so long it's actually hard for me to actually like get fat I have to eat carbs all day every day for weeks before my body fat mm-hmm. like starts to budge which you know unfortunately I've, I've done a couple times in the past year so that's why I know this but you know it actually takes some effort for me now to to get fat.
2: I'm playing the world's smallest violin, playing a sad
0: yeah. song for you. <laughs> hey, but, you know, I've put in actually, decades into this. You know, this isn't like this just happened for me. You know, I've I've put in my time and effort. I'm sorry that you were mm-hmm. a late starter.
1: <laughs> I, I yeah. actually had a question for Rocky because it was a long time ago where I heard him talk about uh, using MyFitnessPal um, for, you know, uh, sharing food journals with clients. And with your clients, are you, do you provide them actual meal plans or um, just food groups to choose from and, you know, how to, how to uh, combine their food choices? Like, how do you deal with that? Because I'm just interested to know how you overcome people's, uh, well, anyway, we were talking about how just those convenience foods and how it's difficult for people to just make that change.
2: Um, so, as Kiefer would say, it depends. Um, it's a little bit of everything because it depends on where the patient is at and what they're willing to do and what they're, willing not, what they're not willing to do. So I do a little bit of everything. So some, some patients, I'll just give them categories um, and let them pick from, um, you know, uh, my, my, the thing I kind of more do with patients typically is I say, look, at every meal, you should be getting protein, you should be getting fat, and I also throw in green vegetable. Um, because I think from a, from a food satisfaction standpoint, it's, it's a great way to get more fat into your diet. Um, as Kiefer says, you know, vegetables are a vehicle for butter. So I, I'll try to, you know, have them, and I have like sheets that I give out to patients. So there'll be like three columns. One's a fat column, one's a protein column, and one's a vegetable column. And so I'll say, okay, pick one food from each column, and that should be each meal. Whether you do six meals a day, three meals a day, one meal a day, that's the way it should be. And let's start with that. Some patients, mm-hmm. I'll be very specific and give them only limited food choices maybe for the first week or two um, just so they don't have to think about things. So, you know, the overthinking right. that you stated is so rampant. Um, there's just mm-hmm. too much of that going on. And, um, and and a lot of the people that come to me who find me like on the Paleo Physicians Network and they're doing paleo, I mean, the amount of over- overthinking, the amount of the re- their reading on every blog it's like you know what mm-hmm. I don't want you going and reading any blogs. I have here you, yep. your, your choices, and that's it. And I don't want you to think about anything. And let's see you back in a week and see how you're doing. And, and, and sometimes it has to be that that way initially. Um, so and then for other people, I'll put meal plans together for them. So I'll give them. We'll go through foods that they like and they dislike, and then try to put it together for them. So it's kind of all over the board. And then I'll yeah, use my... once fi- you start dealing
1: with picky eaters, then it's a whole other yeah.
2: ballgame. <laughs> well, it's interesting. It, it should actually
0: be all over the board. Uh, I've There's a uh, researcher in Southern California, uh, Fred Navarro, who's been researching basically the psychology of dieting for like the last 20 or 30 years now. And he's come up with, I think it's 13 personality types And you can give somebody this, you know, list of questions, this questionnaire, and he can tell you what, what type they fall out of, fall out as. And I mean, the differences in how you have to approach giving them the information and the things to change and the way you change them to get them to Mm -hmm. stick to it is, you know, you've got 13 different categories. So you would expect... You know even one out of every ten you're not gonna have every ten people you're not gonna have two people that act identical
2: and then you know I'll use my fitness pal as well but again I don't really um, I try to have them focus on their macro and not really focus on that calorie number it spits out so typically I'll send them at a pound a week but I'll tell them don't really look at the calories if you're north one day and south of it one day it's not a big deal and I don't want you to focus on hitting that number every single day Um, But you know at least it gives me a sample of what they're eating Um, and it does like you say gives them some mindfulness
1: Yes, that's a big thing. There's actually a really have you seen uh, precision nutrition? They have a uh, calorie control guide There's one for men one for one for women and it basically uses the hand as a model of your 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 portion of fat and protein and uh, carbohydrate have you seen that? PDF that floats around
2: I have not but I'll dig it up.
1: Okay. I'll send it to you because it's awesome. And I, I use that with all my clients. And that's pretty much what I send them off with at first. It's like, just this is how you uh, gauge everything. You just eyeball it like this. And I find that usually puts them in, in a pretty good uh, calorie range right off the bat. Can you guys still hear me?
0: Yeah. We, we were okay, just sitting so. here quiet for a second. We were contemplating okay. our next conversation, or, or at least I okay. was. Because, you know, a lot of this, a lot of this. Um, you know, it's just interesting, like all these different things and you lump on top of it, the fact that how you ate the day before or two days before, or even three days before or the night mm-hmm. before is going to affect what your body does for the next, you know, on that particular day. And you run into all these problems and all these manipulations. And these are the things that you can't get across to people. You know, there's no real good information on mm-hmm. it. You know, and, and that's where it helps to then start to ignore knowing these things. If you do know these things, and unfortunately a lot of people don't, you know, if you ate fat three days ago, that's going to affect how your body responds to any meal you're eating today. And if you had high glycemic carbs last night, that affects how your body reacts to carbs today. So there, there's all these parameters that make it looking at things day by day. It's kind of mm-hmm. stupid you know there's two yeah yeah, there's too many variables that you just can't account for i mean it's almost insane the different things that can happen and if you're not willing to look at that or understand that hysteresis effect what it's called basically your body remembers what you did a couple days ago and reacts accordingly then you just start looking at things by the week and everything Mm -hmm. kind of averages out if you consider if you look at all your parameters on a weekly basis and like rocky was saying okay i'm up this day i'm down this day and you know, but through the week, I kind of am in this gray area. It's gonna help to wash out some of those unknown variables that are very difficult to take take into account. And I, you mm-hmm. know, I think that's important here too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's important too, just by planning your week, uh, like with your schedule. Like I always tell my clients, look at your week, plan ahead. Do you have to change any of your training days around? That's gonna that's gonna change how you manipulate your carbohydrates. So just look at one week at a time, and if you can nail down each week, so it's I don't want to say optimal, but you know you're you're um, hitting your goals and you're you're staying on track. Then that's just the best way to look at at everything. Just. Small little chunks. Let's get through this week, and then we'll focus on next week. Yeah, hundred percent.
0: It's just you know, when it comes down to it, it's just not that complex. It's, what, it's like, not. There's it's there's crazy conversations <laughs> everywhere. Oh my gosh, I worked out on Saturday morning, <gasps> and I think I might work out again oh, Saturday night. Should I have eaten carbs Friday night? But I didn't work out Friday night. It's like, you
1: uh, know,
0: you know what? Just it's really not to just go with it. You know, how long have you been working out and how long have you been eating food? You know, you should be used to the feedback mechanisms that are just natural for you. And if you didn't eat carbs Friday night and you felt like total crap after your workout Saturday morning and you also felt like crap at night, then maybe you should start considering eating carbs Friday night before you have your Saturday morning workouts. You know, it's the body's talking to you so much. We just need to listen. Mm
1: And, you know, something I like to say about that is that people people are afraid. They're afraid to do like, oh, my God, I did this. And how is it going to affect this? It's like, well, try it out. See what happens. Right. People always want to push. They want to push themselves in one direction so much. So they want to see how hard they can work out, how much they can lift, how much or I don't know, how much weight they can lose or whatever. Well, let's explore the opposite direction, too because when you know your tipping points on each end, that's where you find your real balance. It's like, how much can you get away with? Yeah, it's great that you know that you can push yourself that far, but how much can you get away with and not have a negative result? And then once you discover that, then that's where you really start finding your balance. And I get this with women all the time. They're afraid to take a week off the gym what a horrible feeling to walk around right. being afraid to take a week away from the gym. And one of the first things I'll do with someone like that is like, okay, immediately you're taking a week off. You need to experience that a week off, a week of rest and putting energy back into yourself is not the end of the world. It's not going to change anything. And when you take that anxiety out of you know, that scenario for that person, it, it, they start seeing things differently. And I think that's really important too. And Jim Laird, I mean, he's one of my favorite yeah. people to talk about this kind of thing. But it's like, yeah, push, your, push, you know, both ends. How far can you push yourself and how far can you slack off? And yeah. somewhere in between there is your happy point.
0: <laughs> What's well, you know, I, it, it's really funny because I know a person on the extreme of, you know, could never take a day off of working out. She would start with a run in the morning, like an hour or two hours of swimming and then she would spend another two hours in the gym and then she would go on a bike ride and that was like (laughs) her entire day she could barely work she always had money problems because she was exercising all the time and she she couldn't figure out how to balance it out and to the craziness like she would get all excited she's like oh my gosh I added an ounce of sweet potato to my diet the other day and I felt I felt so much better It's because she was starving Mm -hmm. herself every day. And this is a woman who was a competitive athlete when she was younger and then all of a sudden found herself aging and she tore muscles in her shoulder and then she tore stuff in her hip. And then, you know, she's just been this downward spiral and still is having a difficult time adjusting to a lifestyle that allows her body to rest. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when when you see these things start to accumulate... The first thing in my mind, if I get an injury, is okay, I didn't pay attention to something my body was telling me. Like I was overtrained right. or malnourished or stressed out about something. Because every injury I've had has centered around, you know, extreme stress of one kind or another. You know, it's like, oh well, I just didn't listen, I need to pay better attention. But then you have athletes and Joel Jameson likes to talk about this because athletes are the worst people because they will ignore everything. The idea is i'm going to ignore everything because i can out train anything yeah and we see that's that's just not the case and you're gonna sustain injuries you're gonna and, and an injury to me is also metabolic you know you've injured your mm-hmm. body metabolically and that's why some somebody's really stressed out it's really difficult for them to lose weight or you know look better really is the goal to lose body fat and gain muscle it's just because they're Injured internally, we have to fix all of that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Rock, and I Rocky think so many bored.
1: people. Oh, does Rocky want to say something? No, no re- he just I, looks bored. Actually, I,
2: I, I'm thinking about oh, okay. eating more carbs now. <laughs> God, I gonna, I was, I, I'm in daydreaming I was about rice. Today.
1: What's that?
2: I <laughs> said so I'm dreaming about eating more rice now. <laughs> oh, that's I, what. I, it was. I'm convinced now. I need to eat more carbs to the week. So that's the next <laughs> manipulation. <laughs>
1: But, uh, no, what you're just saying about sport it ties into something I was just writing about, which is we gotta stop, we gotta stop doing sports for the wrong reasons. I mean, the reason you should do a sport is because you love it and it improves your quality of life overall. We gotta stop participating in all these different sports because we're stuck in this calorie in, calorie out. Gotta burn more fuel than I consume. Frame of mind. And I see that a lot with, uh, sorry, I keep on saying women, but with all people, but with women, you're like, you're doing all these different kinds of activities. And it's because they're, they're stuck in that mindset. They've been trained that they have to be out there burning calories all the time if they want to have, you know, the body composition that they have always wanted. And we have to realize that the sports that we choose are breaking down our bodies. And... Um, if, if there is a sport that you love to do and you want to continue to do it, your nutrition and your training in the gym has to support that or else you're going to break down.
0: Yeah, I would totally agree. I, I would argue that women are somewhat less, uh, I don't want to say metabolically flexible, that's not the right term, but maybe resilient than men. You know, when you look at some of the research and some of the data, men seem to be able to rebound from crazy types of activity, you know, obviously not taken to extremes like say, you know, crossfitting every day for months, but you know, they seem to be able to bounce back from certain bouts of activity better than yes. women, and it's really hard to pin down why that is. I I would have some possibly evolutionary arguments, you know, women more often were caretakers, they had to have they had a consistent lifestyle so to speak of, you know, caregiving and Helping to take care of the community at large, and I doubt they went hunting that often, which would be very metabolically taxing for short periods of time. And their their body really has to be healthy to maintain a child. I think is something that we mm-hmm. all overlook. Like the f- female does have some particularly important function in nature besides going out and crossfitting for several hours a day. And <laughs> and I you know I, I think the body's going to fight against that. You know, and I'm not saying women should just focus on having children. You know, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying, you know, you got to realize that the body is kind of tuned not only for your survival, but potential survival of something else. And, you know, it's going to get knocked into these bad regimes of metabolism a little more easily than men, unfortunately. And, you know, we just need to recognize that. Oh,
1: absolutely. Which means more rest.
0: Oh, no. Oh no! More rest and more food. The horrors.
1: Uh, oh, you're kind of cutting out there. How's Rocky doing?
0: Uh, he's good. He's still daydreaming about rice.
1: That's alright. Oh, I would daydream about cheesecakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've
0: actually uh, we're we're kind of we're out of time. We've gone over a little bit, I've, which is never a bad thing. But why don't you, AJ? Why don't you tell us where we can find out more about you, and people can get in touch with you if they want some some personal help.
1: Absolutely. I have a website. It's called Her Fitness Solutions. And that website, I, I really built it just so it could be used as like a self-help guide for women. I just think that there's not many resources out there that kind of read like a, like a go-to kind of book. Um, Just where to start if this is something that you uh, are interested in, and then of course I have my online coaching. I have a Facebook page for her fitness solutions. Um, I'm on Twitter, but I don't really use it, so it's not really a good place to find me.
0: (laughs) Oh, it's like me (laughs) and Facebook. uh, Yeah, Facebook
1: Facebook and my website.
0: All right, Mm. awesome. Awesome. So her fitness solution, solution or solutions
1: solutions
0: so her fitness yeah. I assume if they go there they can basically find everything else they need to right
1: Yep. Yeah, there's a contact form all the page pages link up to my Facebook page so yeah I'm pretty easy to
0: awesome to find from there fun great. conversation awesome today I hope a lot of people got useful information out of this is it wasn't just about science and geeking out today it was really about how to apply a lot of this stuff to your life
1: mm-hmm. great
0: nice talking to you too AJ
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, it was a pleasure.
0: All right, and uh, we will talk to everybody next time.
1: Sounds good.
0: You've been listening to Body.io FM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky. If you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. We'll be back next time with more science from the pinnacle of human health and performance.